Welcome to Black Women's Health Podcast. I'm Dr. Rahman, and today's topic is PMDD, which is premenstrual dysphoric disorder. That's a mouthful. That's a mouthful, but we have a lot to talk about. We want to talk about treatment options, including microdosing with psychedelic drugs. I have the esteemed pleasure of having a guest with me, Ms. Tina Williams. Ms. Williams is the author of the book, The Woman in the Basement, How to Live Your Best Life 75% of the Time. I think that needs explanation, Ms. Williams. <laughs> yeah. um, and then the subtitle is Menstrual Moods and Mushrooms. I'll tell you a little about Ms. Williams. Ms. Williams is a graduate of Texas A&M University. She is a veteran of the U.S. Army and has worked for many years as an information systems analyst before devoting herself to PMD awareness and advocacy, including promoting psychedelic research. Again, welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, so there's some vocabulary that we just need to be clear on. Um, what is your understanding of PMS, mm -hmm. premenstrual syndrome, and PMDD? Hmm. That's a great question. And I think something that um, is very confusing kind of culturally and people that don't experience PMDD. Um, for someone that experiences PMDD, I think the distinction is very clear. Um, with PMS being a um, something that most um, women of reproductive age have experienced in their lives, um, but it doesn't necessarily impact um, school or work or daily functioning. They're able to live their lives. Um, whereas with PMDD, it is a much more severe um, debilitating condition that impacts daily life and makes it difficult to keep a job, a relationship, et cetera. I totally agree with that. As a gynecologist, what I hear women telling me are things like, I know my period is about to start when they're describing their PMS symptoms. Sometimes they will say, my breasts feel full or they feel heavy or tender. I have some abdominal cramping. I feel bloated. And these are all relatively minor symptoms, meaning it doesn't incapacitate them. They're still able mm -hmm. to go to school. They're still able to go to work, but they know there's a change. And these symptoms usually go away when um, they start having the menstrual cycle. And also usually there's cravings. A lot of times there's a craving for chocolate. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. We can think of PMDD as an extreme form of PMS, one that's debilitating, one mm -hmm. that is associated with emotional um, symptoms, anxiety, depression. And so the question sometimes becomes, is it a problem for the gynecologist mm -hmm. or is it a problem for the psychiatrist? Because is right. this more of a mental disorder or is it a physiologic disorder? Yes, yeah. that's that's really a great point. And I think that that's something that, um, you know, people that have PMDD really struggle with this because at first they may be referred to a gynecologist and then they might be referred to the psychiatrist and then they might be referred back to the gynecologist. So it's kind of it's one of those of who is or or how does that work? And I think PMDD being something that really needs um, a team of people that would work together um, to develop a more well-rounded kind of treatment approach. Can you share what your symptoms were like? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so they definitely evolved um, over time. So I had undiagnosed PMDD for 20 years, which 
is um, it's really um, having it for that long caused a lot of it. It almost started exacerbating and escalating the longer that I had it um, and the longer that it was untreated. So, you know, starting from my first period, right? Like my teenage years were very disrupted. Um, a lot of mood swings, a lot of anger, a lot of rage. Um, <clears throat> I dropped out of high school very young. Um, I struggled to be in an environment with other people um, during that time. And so, you know, going to school was like torture um, to me because I just, you know, the anxiety, the depression, and you can imagine that playing out in a high school. Um, and so that was a, that was a, a big part of it. Um, and then I think going forward, like that really just kind of escalated. Um, you know, my time in the military, I got through it. It was very challenging, very difficult, but I, I got through it, um, kind of during those years. But by the time I was in my early thirties, it had really gotten to the point where like I was having consistent suicidal ideation it, during that window before my period. And I was starting to plan out how to do it. Mm. And that was the point when I started seeking help. I didn't know what was happening. I didn't know that I didn't know PMDD existed at all at that point. But I was like, okay, something's wrong. Um, and I started researching and like. Oh, can I ask you this? Mm -hmm. At this point in your life, did you think I have PMS? No. Um, I've never thought. I've, I mean, PMS, sure. Um, you know, but I guess I never really associated my symptoms to my menstrual cycle okay. until I until I realized that PMDD was a thing. Okay. Did you have any other gynecologic symptoms associated with periods like severe cramps, what mm. we call dysmenorrhea? No, um, okay. there was not a lot of physical symptoms at all. So okay. even with bloating or breast tenderness, yes. But not, it wasn't anything that really caught my attention because it didn't cause me any real problems. Okay, so I'm hearing you say most of your concerns are anxiety, depression, these yeah. were mental. Yes, absolutely. These were, these were emotions, strong emotions to the point of everything in my life needs to change right now. <laughs> mm -hmm. me like I need it's my job mm -hmm. I have to switch jobs mm -hmm. it's my relationship I have to get out of my relationship I it, it was that um emotional turmoil that I was feeling that was causing the distress but it's so weird with PMDD because the luteal phase is two weeks a uh, roughly two weeks before the menstrual, before the, before menstruation. So it's really difficult to pick up on that pattern. You know, before we go too deep, I think I should pause and try mm -hmm. to explain some background physiology so yeah. that we're all on the same page. At about the age of 12, most girls start menstruating. And what that means is that they will ovulate once a month. And ovulation is the process where one egg is released from the ovary into the fallopian tube. This release of the egg is ovulation. That egg is then in the fallopian tube. And if it is fertilized by sperm, um, that fertilized egg can then travel into the uterus, implant, grow. 40 weeks later, we can have a live birth. If that egg is not fertilized after ovulation, it essentially 
dies, it gets reabsorbed, and the lining, which had been building within the uterus, gets shed. And that's the menstrual cycle. So in a female that has a 28-day cycle, mid-cycle, around day 14, is when she ovulates. Two weeks later, if that egg has not been fertilized, she'll have a menstrual cycle. That period after ovulation and before menstruation is called the luteal phase. It occurs after ovulation. Mm -hmm. And so the symptoms of PMS and PMDD, which we are saying is essentially a severe extreme form of PMS, occurs in the luteal phase or in the second half of a menstrual cycle. And so what's interesting is that all of those terrible symptoms pretty much go away. Mm -hmm. They absolutely go away yes. with the onset of the menstrual cycle. Mm -hmm. They don't happen in the first half of the cycle, but they tend to recur once she's ovulated and is now in the luteal phase of her cycle. Mm -hmm. Okay, so how did you make this connection? Yeah, so it was interesting because, you know, I was, I've never been one to track my periods before because other than, you know, outside of PMDD, which I didn't know about, um, but I had no problems with my periods, right? So I didn't have heavy periods. I didn't have a lot of cramping. So I really, it just was a thing that happened and that was okay. Um, <laughs> right. But I didn't pay a lot of attention to it. And so, um, when I was like really being serious about my mental health problems, I started doing a lot of research and I was like, okay, this is what I'm experiencing. So, um, what does this look like? Right. So I went out and I was like major depression. No, because it's not consistent. Right. PTSD. I was screened for. Um, when I got out of the military and I didn't meet the diagnostic criteria for PTSD. So I was like, that's not it. Um, and I just kept going and I, I was interviewing uh, my friends because I felt like that helps to get objective feedback from people around me. Um, and one of my friends said something that really put me on a different path. She was like, it's like, you're a completely different person. Sometimes it's like, everything is, is smooth sailing. Everything is great. And then you just blow everything up. So let me just pause. Mm -hmm. So not only do you feel terrible, others around you notice the dis a difference. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and so working with my friend in that regard was very helpful. Um, because that's when I started looking at, I was like, okay, my symptoms are cyclical. Um, and then what does that look like? And then that's how I came across PMDD. I wasn't convinced at first. I wanted to make sure. So I started tracking my symptoms and I did it. I was able to do it in reverse for like the previous two months. Cause I was like, you know, I, I knew when I had a big fight with my partner, that was not necessary. Like I knew when that happened. So I was able to look at the calendar and say, oh, this is a pattern that is correlated to my menstrual cycle. And so that's how that really came out too. Sounds uh, like it was a self-diagnosis. Yes. Is this because you felt as though the medical profession wasn't addressing your issue or you mm. didn't have confidence in them? Yeah. So I think that by, it probably speaks to my nature. Um, I have worked as an analyst for a long time. I am very interested in, in researching and understanding things. And so I felt that this was all happening prior to seeking help. And the reason is, is because I wanted to understand 
what was going on with me, or I wanted to get a good understanding of what it even was. Mm-hmm. Um, because then, you know, considering like PMDD, I was like, oh, okay, I need to make an appointment with the gynecologist. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's how it kind of played out. Um, it was me trying to understand first and then seeking help. Okay. So you go to the gynecologist with the presumed diagnosis of PMDD. Mm-hmm. And was it confirmed? Yes. Um, so I brought the calendar to the doctor. We talked. Um, I, you know, went over my symptoms. And so he confirmed the diagnosis, um, which is, you know, this is an interesting piece um, in like in medical care with mental health. The only way to di- to diagnose anything is through subjective reports, right? It's through self-reporting. So it's, you know, going to the gynecologist to get a test for PMDD, like that doesn't exist, right? Mm-hmm. So it's a tricky thing um, with that alone because it it can only be diagnosed through that method. So you're saying depending on how you relate your symptoms, you could affect your diagnosis. Yes, that is absolutely. I mean, and that is the case in all mental health conditions. Yeah, and I would just, I would agree with that. I would just say it is then the um, the job of the doctor to then ask the probing questions. Yes. To help differentiate, to rule out other possibilities. Absolutely. But back to this encounter, what was offered to you? Now you have the diagnosis of PMDD, Mm-hmm. Was offered as treatment by the gynecologist. Yes. So a um they wanted to start out with birth control, um, which is a commonly prescribed um treatment option for this, um, and then followed up with offering a prescription for antidepressants. At the same time? Um, if I remember correctly, and I could be off, but mm-hmm. I believe that he start he wanted to start with birth control first, mm-hmm. give that a couple of months to see if it helped, and then if that wasn't working, then moving to antidepressants, I believe. And that's very typical. And mm-hmm. I just want to back up and explain the rationale behind the use of birth control pills in this scenario. Mm-hmm. If, as we've described before, this happens after ovulation, anything that you can do that prevents ovulation should prevent the symptoms. And we know that birth control pills work by preventing ovulation. So if you give her the birth control pills, she doesn't ovulate, she shouldn't have these symptoms associated with that second half of the cycle. Mm-hmm. And that's usually the, um, you're right, that's usually the first go-to medication. And I find that women usually have a lot of mixed feelings about birth control pills, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. saying that it's not natural. And mm-hmm. it's true. It is, it isn't natural. It's hormonal manipulation. And the reason for it is what we've just described. Mm -hmm. And if that doesn't work, sometimes it's um, the antidepressants, usually SSRIs. uh, And either you're taking it every day or you're taking it during those two weeks of your luteal phase to prevent your symptoms. Mm -hmm. Didn't work. So I will say that there was some symptom alleviation, in particular in the beginning. Um, But what I noticed was that the efficacy decreased 
over time. Um, and it also didn't prevent, it, it wasn't doing enough, right? So there was some improvement, but it, it wasn't a long-term fix. Um, so, and at this point, are you taking birth control pills and antidepressants? No. So this is on, um, just a, I think it was Yaz birth control, mm -hmm. I believe is the one they typically mm -hmm. prescribe for that. So I did try that for a period of time, but not, and you know, I do share those feelings about, um, birth control, not being, you know, a natural thing. And so I think from a personal perspective, that also kind of played into that of me not wanting to use birth control long term, you know. So I won't get into the birth control debate. It is it is <laughs> it is a personal choice. And yeah. um it's not natural, it's not holistic. And you really have to weigh the pros versus mm -hmm. the cons of the medication. And that depends on your own personal situation, right? age, health condition, all those other things pay. pay right. Absolutely. So you said no to birth control pills. What about the antidepressants? So antidepressants, I have been, I took an antidepressant when I was younger, actually to quit smoking. So it was completely unrelated or, or I think Wellbutrin. Wellbutrin, right. Now yes. it's not an SSRI, but it okay. is antidepressant. Okay. So, so I had some experience with that in my teen, like not teen, but twenties maybe. And my reaction to it was not good. Mm. Um, I had a really rough reaction to it. And so I had to stop it. Um, almost immediately. Um, and so with that experience, and I know, you know, that all as all antidepressants, like they're, they're different They're, but with that experience, I, I felt very uncomfortable at that stage in my life because yeah. my symptoms had, they were so severe by that point. I was like, I'm really actually contemplating suicide. Mm. And I felt at that point that SSRIs were a very risky option for me okay. in that state. Okay. And so I did not pursue, so I've never pursued um, SSRIs for PMDD. Um, were you I, seeing a psychiatrist or a therapist at this point? No. Okay. Only my gynecologist. Got you. Um, Okay, so um, what happens next? Yeah, so I think that I very much felt like I was at a breaking point, um, you know, of like, I can't live like this um, anymore. And so I started doing research and I was, you know, just looking like, what are the alternatives to SSRIs? Like, what other options do I have? And I came across psychedelic research it for, uh, in particular, major depression, and then also PTSD. And so I was looking at that and I, I was like, huh, the symptoms of these other mental health conditions are, it's like, I always think PMDD is like, if major depression and PTSD had a baby and it only happened <laughs> during the luteal phase. Um, <laughs> okay. It's, it's like that. And so um, I. So was, you're, I'm, I'm sorry, that's an interesting um, description. Are you trying to describe the intensity of the feelings? Yes. I think the intensity of the feelings and then also the symptoms, um, like the symptoms of major depression and PTSD are both within the PMDD diagnosis, right? So the suicidal ideation, right? Being an important one. 
um, that like overly depressed mood, like you have a cloud on you, mm-hmm. like that's the, that major depression and feeling, um, which, you know, speaking like, I don't have experience with these other mental health conditions, but that is my understanding from the reading. Um, so yeah, I, I just was looking at it and I was like, this is very interesting. So I started going down that rabbit hole to understand why psychedelics would be useful in these other conditions. And that's really where it all started. Um, for me looking into microdosing for PMDD. How did you go about doing that? And how did you figure out what, what's a microdose? Yeah, so I was not good at it at first. Um, that So it was, I do have um, a good friend in my life who has had experience with it in the past with bigger doses and and various um, different ones. So that was very helpful because I had someone to like confide in and um, that had firsthand experience that was able to explain it to me, um, explain what the experiences were like, explain, you know, possibly how it's, how it may be helpful for these different conditions. And so, yeah, and as far as like how to do it, I think I was very, um, I did a lot of reading. There's a lot of information out there online for different protocols and and different things like that. So it was very much like a self-experiment, essentially. And I do want to emphasize that what we're sharing today is just informational. Neither myself or the guest is recommending that anyone do this without serious consideration and consultation with their health provider. Yes. There can be negative consequences if you are not aware and prepared. Yes, absolutely. That's a great way to put it. So um, interesting. Do you remember your first experience with microdosing and, and the effect in terms of now, we know that this can happen over days when we're talking about the PMDD. So, mm-hmm. when you did it, how soon did you see a response? Did it last the entire time? Did you have to change the dosage? How were things for you? Yeah. So it was very. It was. It, it was a bit of a chaotic process, but. I don't say chaotic in a negative way, um, more of, you know, starting out taking very small doses, there wasn't a noticeable effect in like, you know, you're not um, having visions and you're not um, seeing um, different colors and, and geometry or, or anything like that, but no hallucinations, no hallucinations. Um, so we're talking, does it feel like you've had two glasses of wine? Yeah, it, it's similar to that, but I would say that it's more similar to cannabis, mm. a little bit more similar to cannabis with a distinction that cannabis can sometimes feel a little cloudy mentally, like a little, um, you know, cloudy, whereas psychedelics tend to increase focus. So it's the opposite in that regard, but the kind of feeling of cannabis is similar there. Now I want to add that in this context, we're really talking about microdosing where the effects are very subtle. So in people that use that microdose, they will go to work. Um, They like you carry on with your normal everyday activities because it's sub-perceptual. 
you're you're able to function you're able yes. to go yes. to work right you're right. able to drive a car yes absolutely this is a very subperceptual dose if now this is kind of the thing with microdosing once the protocol is dialed in and i think that's a key point because while first experimenting it's difficult to understand okay what is what is the dose that i that is going to work for me mm-hmm. um while maintaining that subperceptual effect if that makes sense so I guess we should say that when we're talking about the standard dose, the standard dose is the dose that's hallucinogenic. Yes, yes. And so when we're saying microdose, it's my understanding that we're talking about somewhere like one-tenth of a standard dose. Right, right. Um, And so the other thing in that regard is that... Um, you know, for women with PMDD, it tends to be even smaller of a dose than that. So even smaller, um, because let me see how to explain this, but it, it feels as if there's a little bit of sensitivity in women with PMDD, typically speaking. So like, um, maybe where, um, a little increased sensitivity to things like wine or to cannabis, right? So in those regards, like even smaller of a dose than what would typically be considered a microdose, if that makes sense. Yeah. So this is a (laughs) a question that I don't know if you can answer or if Mm -hmm. you had, so the dose, it's a microdose. The physical effects are minimal. Right. There's no hallucinations. Mm-hmm. Then how can it have such a dramatic effect on the PMDD? Yes. So I would say that it's not like the visual experiences are one thing. But, and that's typically what people think about when um, psychedelics um, come up. It's like, oh, it's it's visual, right? But psychedelics also, it's, it has a lot to do with emotion. And so for me, I felt like I was better able to process emotions that were coming up during that time where I was able to be almost like um if you think about being in a meditative state mm-hmm. like you know you're just very kind of zen and very grounded and so it's a feeling like that um that is the part that really was helpful to me because it's like those emotions were still coming up right those emotions were mm-hmm. still there but i was better able to process them. So that's interesting. I'm hearing you say that you might still get angry with your boyfriend. Right. But with the microdosing, you can almost step back. Yes. And not just go off and right. Control. Right. Absolutely. And I think that. So um, are you still feeling some depression? Are you still feeling some anger? It's just not affecting you in the same way. Yeah. So depression, like, so depression, not so much. I don't struggle with that. Um, I mean, I, every once in a while, sure. Everyone has, you know, depressed days every once in a while but they're very different than in the past and they don't last long. Um, The anxiety is something that I'm still working through. Mm -hmm. So that's my current um, kind of journey is 
okay, I know I have a little bit of social anxiety. I'm at a point where it's like, okay, I do want to start making friends. I do want to start dating again. Right. So I'm just at that place where it's like, Mm -hmm. okay, it's time for me to, you know, go into the world a little bit more and work through um, that anxious tendency. Um, So, yeah, I I think it's, it's very much a matter of um, like that mindfulness um, to be able to um, have those really heavy emotions, but not um, react to them in a way that disrupts all of life. It sounds as though you're in better control. Right. Right. Emotional state. Right. And is once enough during a luteal phase or do you have to repeat this and how often? If- yeah. So that's a really good question. Um, I think like to me, when I think of PMDD, like in my own experience, right? Like I had this for 20 years without treatment. And so that's something that I keep in mind of, you know, the experience of PMDD can be very traumatic, um, just experiencing it every month. And so that's something that I always add into the conversation because in some people, you know, let's say you've only been experiencing PMDD for a year. And let's say that, you know, it's maybe not necessarily you're not contemplating suicide right like it's a problem for you but you're not quite there it's not as severe mm-hmm. um in to me in those cases it may take less right but for someone like me that has had it for 20 years like i've really started to understand oh i need to be very gentle with myself because i am unraveling and unpacking something that has been occurring for two decades. And so that's, so yeah, I I think that gives it some context of like, yeah, this is still something that I'm working through. Mm -hmm. I will say that my psych, like psychedelic use currently for me, I don't do it very often at all. Um, That's because you don't have the PMDD anymore? Well, it's, it's, the symptoms are much less severe, but I think it's also because psychedelics really helped me to become a much better meditator. So I, now I'm really able that, that very mindfulness, that place of mindfulness and that place of Zen that the mushrooms really introduced me to. I am, I can go there in meditation. And I, and I think that that is common amongst, you know, people that, that um, use psychedelics. And so that's really been my personal. That's interesting. So I'm hearing you say that you've gotten to a point where you don't need it every month. Mm -hmm. And you found yet another alternative meditation working equally well for you. Yes. And is it a goal not to need it or, you know, it, it's not necessarily a goal. It's not necessarily a goal. Um, I think I'm definitely, um, I'm interested in more ceremonial settings now where it would be more of a gathering, um, with friends, more of a communion. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm interested in that, but that wouldn't occur, you know, on a regular basis. Um, sure. So. Sure. Do you have, or ha- did you have any experience with ketamine? And I should say that mm-hmm. In an upcoming podcast, there will be a doctor coming in and talking about the use of ketamine for PMDD, but have you had any experience with ketamine? Yeah, so I have not had um, experience with ketamine, um, and I'm also not well-read on ketamine, and so um, I'm interested in what your uh, next guest has to say about that, because I am, there is... Um, 
a lot of there's discussion on it. Um, so it's kind of like, like that's where I'm going next with research is digging into that and understanding it better. And do you have any concerns about the sources or how one, the problems associated with trying to procure um, yeah. psychedelics? Since, in, and I think Oregon may be the only state where there's a medicinal use for psychedelics. And outside of that, you are essentially outside of the law. Right, right. So Oregon, and I think they're currently open for business in Oregon, I believe, um, for like the healing centers there. Um, and then Colorado will be next. They are um, setting up the framework and legislation now. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it is, it's such, it's, it's an interesting thing because there's so much research out on mental health and psychedelics, right? So there's a lot of discussion around it. Yes. So we have that part while at the same time, they are controlled substances. So then we know, I mean, that, that what happens with that, right? So then you have um, people that are trying to research their conditions. They want to get better. They, you know, the treatments that they're using might not work. They are, especially in a place where people are contemplating suicide, right? You're going to eat a mushroom before you do that. Um, so that's part of the problem that we have right now is around like safety. How, how does that work, right? And the risks involved both, both sides of the risk, you know? for people that are struggling with mental health that aren't um, finding treatments that work, that's a risk and are at risk for suicide, right? Yeah. And then you have the other risk where it's like, okay, you know, this thing, this um, might help me, but it's illegal. Mm -hmm. um, and it's completely different than anything I've ever, you know, it's it's not, it's it's very different. So you have kind of this, yeah, it's it's uh, it's a dynamic landscape and there are a lot yes. of changes. There's a lot of interest. Um, right. What does your advocacy work look like? And do you have any suggestions or recommendations for reliable sources that people could go to for information? Yeah, yeah. So um just recently, we started the Dysphoric Project, which is a nonprofit focused on advocating for psychedelic research and premenstrual conditions. So we do have a collection of case studies. So that's one of the things that I work on is interviewing women with PMDD that have experience with this and what were their experiences like. And do they have any, um, you know, especially if they're having, um, you know, negative experiences as well. So, you know, what does this look like? And and so getting all of that documented, we have some harm reduction guides as well. That's very critical in work such as this. Um, so at this point, like, do have some things that are out there. Um, and the next stage is launching a peer support community, hmm. which we're working on for January. Mm -hmm. um, because then it's like, especially with PMDD, you, it, it's like talking to other people that have PMDD about this is, is probably, um, you know, a, a helpful source of information because it's, really a very unique condition. Um, so I think having that extra support is important for that. I think you're right. In terms of prevalence, whereas PMS, you know, the discomfort that yeah. the majority of women feel, PMDD, um, I think the the numbers are three to 8% of the popul yeah. population. Right. So it's not a large number. And I would imagine 
for the woman who is experiencing this, it's very isolating. Yes, yes. You said it exactly right. It's 100% isolating. Um, And yeah, you feel like no one, you feel like no one understands the severity of the, or like the intensity of it. Um, And so it's, yeah, it's. I would imagine it would make you feel like I'm going crazy. Yes. Yes. Like I'm going crazy and no one, it's like, like do you realize realize that you are reacting out of proportion to the circumstance or in that moment not necessarily Mm, I don't think so because it's like the thought or or for me anyway yes the thoughts that would come in the thoughts and the emotions that would come to me during that time were so heavy that it, I didn't feel that I was reacting um, out of like, my reaction was really, um, you know, it, so it wasn't that it was out of proportion, you know, from, from like an intensity standpoint, but I do feel like I needed to redirect the processing of it. So like, instead of yelling at my partner, right, I needed to understand why that particular thing was so triggering to me, right? Or why this thought, mm-hmm. what, why I was having these thoughts. So it was instead of reacting externally, reacting internally, in a way to, yes. to understand w- what that was. How do you expect work or home life, children? Could your children tell? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, I think that my, my relationship to them has changed quite mm-hmm. dramatically. And I think in a, in a very like positive way, because that being more mindful and being more, um, you know, grounded, um, that really is contagious, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. it, so yeah, so it's like when I'm around them and when I'm having conversations with them, it's a much more like things flow much easier. Things there's there's not a lot of uh, like conflict or you know I'm not yelling at my daughter because she didn't make her bed mm-hmm. um or something simple like mm-hmm. I'm not doing like things don't bother me the way that they used to mm-hmm. uh, in that regard so yeah it's been very helpful for that so I need to thank you for opening up your life and your experiences And at this point, is there looking back on all you've been through, because it was years before you had Mm -hmm. your diagnosis, is there something that you wish had happened sooner or something Mm -hmm. that you had done earlier or any advice that you could give to a woman who might feel as though she's in a similar situation? Yeah. So I think that looking back, I should have um, looked at my experience, right? I should have been more mindful of that, of like, um, like these experiences are really disrupting my life and seeking help sooner, I think, because it, and like I said, it's like things really escalated um, for me with untreated PMDD. So I think getting treatment as soon as, even if you think it might be a problem, getting, you know, seeking therapy, especially, um, I was just telling uh, my daughter the other day, she's in college. I said, we need to get you in therapy just because, you know, just because everybody needs a therapist. (laughs) And so I, I really changed my mindset on that 
of like, oh, everyone needs a therapist. It's like a primary care doctor. Mm. It doesn't matter if you have mental health conditions or not. We all <laughs> have issues. Process. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Thank you again. Tell us about yeah. your book or anything else that you would like us to be aware of in terms of the work that you're doing. Yeah. So I think um, the the woman in the basement, that was my first book. Um, it's very like self-development um, as it relates to PMDD with a little bit of microdosing. Um, and then the dysphoric project is the kind of evolution of that, of like, this is nonprofit work where we're really trying, you know, we're, we're getting organized. We are, um, you know, partnering and we are really trying to make a difference when it comes to research because we need to understand more about safety in the female population. And we don't have that in, you know, it doesn't exist in psychedelic research yet. So it's very much about um, moving the ball forward there. Very good. You know, I said I was going to ask you to explain the title, Woman in the Bay, oh, yeah. How to Live Your Best Life 75% of the Time. What does that mean? Yeah, so I really... Um, it, it was very much like when I realized I had PMDD, I didn't know that I would ever get better, right? I didn't know what was going to happen there. So um, yeah, so 75% of the time, that's three weeks of the month. So for me, I had symptoms for one week out of the month. Thankfully, I didn't have the full two weeks. So I was like, okay, I have one week and we called it hell week. I was like, I have hell week. It's happening once a month. But the rest of the weeks, like I'm free and I want to live my life. Right. So I wanted to enjoy the rest of the, the time. And I think that also played into it also helped me to improve Hell Week because mm -hmm. there's this cool thing. If you're having fun or if you're enjoying life, mm -hmm. right, then some other things might not feel as heavy. Right. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. All right. So now it's 75% plus. It's <laughs> 75% plus. Yes, Fantastic. It was a pleasure. It was a pleasure. Yes. I really enjoyed speaking with you. Thank you so much. I appreciate um, you having me on. All right. Take care. You too. Bye. Bye. And yes, Black women experience PMDD. In fact, some say that it's worse in that many Black women feel as though because there's the stigma of being superwoman that they should endure even more without, without complaint. If you know of a Black woman that would like to talk about her experience, feel free to have her reach out to me at mail at drramon.com, mail, M-A-I-L, at Dr. D-O-C-T-O-R-R-A-H-M-A-N.com, mail at drramon.com. We all have a story.